Welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Nova Reddy. This is Stephen Robles, and we hope you've enjoyed the episodes we've had recently with lots of special guests, Neil Shenvey discussing the critical theory, and Ryan Bomberger talking about subjects like abortion and talking about his Radiance Foundation. And today, it's, it's back to the three of us. We're going to kind of cover some topics, maybe do a, a lightning round of, of various things, and try to use those ideas and theories and the way we've analyzed some of the events that we've talked about over the last several episodes with some current events and, and some things that uh, maybe churches, pastors, organizations have said and, and use our evaluation skills uh, to talk about those things. So welcome back, Brother Seth. Yeah, 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 man. Good to be back. Good to be back in studio. Um, and Sister Nerva. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, Thank man, you. I, I, that's, um, you know, part of what we want to do here is uh, not only just tell people what to think, but how to think, give them tools so they can begin to do their own critical analysis of what's going on in culture in light of a biblical worldview. <clears throat> so we're going to be trying to do that, just taking some recent events and looking at them uh, through the eyes of, of these things we've been learning. So we want to start, I think our first article uh, we're going to deal with today is, uh, it's a bit of a dated article, right? It's from, yeah, it's uh, actually from November 2017. 2017, yeah. And, and this article is talking about a Hillsong New York City Church pastor, Carl Lentz, he was on The View back in 2017 and was asked about the topic of abortion. And similar to the comments that we talked about in the Lauren Daigle interview concerning homosexuality, the answer that Carl Lentz gave in this interview on The View uh, was along the same lines. He said, people have to live to their own convictions. And he went on to say that that's a broad question, again, talking about whether abortion is sinful. He said, to me, I'm going higher. I want to sit with somebody and say, what do you believe? Kind of taking the stance that, you know, he wants to just see if, is he even talking to someone who believes in Jesus and kind of avoid that topic in initial conversations? Yeah. And in doing that, kind of avoided answering the question directly. Although he did say people have to go along with their own convictions, live to your own convictions, right. were his words verbatim. Yeah. And so now here, here's the tools we're going to go with. So remember back, I think it was, uh, I believe it was episode two, we talked about right. judging and, right. and the difference between evaluating and condemning. So anytime we take up a topic like this, we want to recognize, you know, Pastor Carl Lentz is a brother in Christ. Um, we are not trying to condemn him or malign his motivations. We just want to take kind of what he said and evaluate it because he is influential. He said this stuff in public. And so um, it's going to have influence on people just like uh, Lauren did when she, you know, she gave that interview. A lot of people that are influenced by her automatically, they're like, oh, is she right about that? You know, is, right, is there room right. for ambiguity on same sex relationships? Does the Bible speak against it? So we, we would say the same thing here that because people are influenced by this, we just want to take it and evaluate it and give a give an analysis. So you might even think of it like. <laughs> We were watching American Idol the other night, and mm. you know that somebody somebody gets up there and sings, and the judges, if they're doing a good job, they're not just going to make them feel good. Yeah, they they will often encourage them, but they also want to give tips and say, you know, you went a little flat here, or right. you know, you didn't do this part so well, but this part was well. And I think we can do that in situations like this, like with Hillsong. I know Nerva, you could even speak to this. How much they have ministered to you over the years? How many amazing things that they've done? 
and continue to do. I mean, I've seen you listen to their songs just like. Love me some Hillsong. I do. Over and over. We sung many of their songs. Yeah. Sung all their anthems. Right. And church songs. I mean, they've, they've led the world in worship for many yeah, years. Man. So and one thing, they're uh, definitely a blessing. Yeah. What comes to mind is that Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. For and, sure. And the Hillsong Church. You know, they even have their Hillsong family churches. We have some here in Lakeland and some sure. around that right. associate with the Hillsong church at large. Right. And even mm-hmm. Pastor Carl Lentz's church uh, has about 7,000, maybe even closer to 10,000, back in 2017, probably close to 10,000 people in attendance on a weekend now. Yeah. And so a large uh, influence there yeah, with man. a lot of people. And making a big splash and I think a lot of positive contributions. I mean, so many people on the world have been impacted uh, in in come to know the Lord through their, through their ministry and, right. uh, Hillsong in Australia. There's one in London. We've, we've been there before and yeah, amazing ministry. So we want to definitely want to highlight the positives. Um, I think it's also a positive that, uh, by and large, I think they have, as far as I can tell, I don't, I, we don't keep up with them in detail, but it seems like they have, uh, withstood the temptation to give over into progressive Christianity right. in many ways. They seem to have remain orthodox, um, in, in their belief system. So that's, that's great. Um, killer music, just, yeah, great stuff there. So, um, now I just, you know, we can jump into this, this a little bit. So when, when, when we're thinking through this, Nerv and I were reading through it. And one of the things we want to want to start with is just let try to give a generous interpretation right. <laughs> to what, uh, what Carl was saying there. Um, on the surface, when you when you read it at first, it seems like he's saying something that's really a bit radical. But I, mm-hmm. but knowing the other things that he believes, um, and the other things that I've heard from, him, which is not a lot, I I do tend to think if I were sitting with him in conversation, and I and I said to him, so are you telling me that people should act on their convictions. And by that, you mean if someone believes that abortion is right for them, that they should commit, a, have an abortion and that God's okay with that because that's what their convictions are. Are you saying that? I would imagine that he would say that's not what he meant. Mm-hmm. And so in light of that, the only thing I can think is maybe he didn't choose uh, the best wording right. for how he was trying to communicate his view. So I, th- to put it simply, I think he, what he meant to say was this. At Hillsong, they seem to have an emphasis on not not presenting people with sin on the front end, mm-hmm. but they want to connect people first to Jesus, right. and with the idea that as they get to know Him, they will begin to see their sin, and then in that process, that will work itself out. Is right. it? Is, does that? Yeah, what you guys would think is like Hillsong's general. Yeah, yeah, approach. And that, again, goes to your, to your point. When he would say he wants to talk to somebody and see if they even believe Jesus. Right. Is Jesus who he says he is? Do you believe he exists? Like, to start at that place, which, again, I think in the world of apologetics that we talk about, it is kind of where you want to start. You know, right. To, to focus on a heated issue before you even get to the worldview that we're operating from, a lot of times is, is backwards order. And will just lead to arguing, which is what we see on social media. You know, just right. Christians and atheists arguing. And so I do think it is a good thing for to look at the the highest level and say, what worldview are you operating from? Are you operating from a biblical worldview or an atheist? And let's talk about that first, because to try and tell someone that abortion is objectively wrong because of Christianity and they are an atheist, that's kind of a, you're, you're speaking two different worldviews at the right. moment. 
Right. And so maybe it is better, like he is implying, to start at the Jesus part and not at the issue that they're on. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe build trust, relationship first. And, you know, I hear he's reaching out um, to some mainstream people are being attracted to his church. And so that speaks to him desiring to, to win the lost. And but his approach might not be what you would expect at first. Hey, so what's what are your thoughts on Jesus first? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm imagining he means. Yeah. And I, you know, I think there's room for different approaches in the in the public square. Especially in those situations where, you know, someone's looking for a soundbite where they can kind of beat you right. over the head, whether there is wisdom and learning how to do that. Um, that being said, I think there is also a legitimate critique of taking the posture in, in the public discourse of always avoiding um, issues like that, mm. um, especially, and this is the part that I think where he went a little flat on a singer, gotcha. especially when you create ambiguity scripturally where there is none. And that's mm. what the, guy, the writer of this article says, we don't have the liberty to create, to, to present this idea that scripture is unclear on something where it right. is clear. And that's where um, it also feeds into, you know, how do we relate to, to politics and these hot button issues that, because clearly that's why on the view they're asking this because so that they care primarily about it, not, not even as a moral issue, but as a political issue. Yeah. This is where I think Wayne Grudem's book on politics can actually help us. And he critiques a view that he calls the, um, just preach the gospel. Don't do politics view. Mm. And he gives these reasons right here. He says one, that trades on the idea that it's too narrow an understanding of the gospel and the kingdom of God. He says the gospel is good news for all of life. Hmm. And so it's not as though we can just shrink it down to just individual conversions to what they think about Jesus, and we kind of leave the world to itself. Uh, Number two, he says, the whole gospel, quote-unquote, the whole gospel, includes a transformation of society. Hmm. And he says the good news of the gospel will result in changed lives. But Jesus wants that, uh, wants that result in changed families as well. And when the gospel changes lives, it should also, cha- also result in changed neighborhoods and changed schools and changed businesses and changed societies. So shouldn't the gospel also result in changed governments as well? Of course it should. And he goes on to say later, he says, It seems to me that the do evangelism, not politics view has a mistaken understanding of what is important to God, as if only spiritual, non-material, otherworldly things matter to him and not the actual circumstances of people's physical life in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, and I just want to give a few here from Grudem in this chapter, but he says, God leaves Christians here on earth both to do evangelism and to do good for others. Four, God established both the church and the government to restrain evil. And five, Christians have influenced governments positively throughout history. And this is a point I want to camp on for just a second here. He points out how the spread of Christianity and Christian influence on government was primarily responsible for outlawing infanticide, child abandonment, and abortion in the Roman Empire in AD 374. It also was instrumental in outlawing the brutal battles to the death in which thousands of gladiators had died. It outlawed the cruel punishment of branding the faces of criminals. Uh, it instituted prison reforms, such as the segregating of male and female prisoners. It stopped the practice of human sacrifice among the Irish, the Prussians, and the Lithu- Lithuanians. 
as well as among other um, many other nations. It outlawed pedophilia. It you know it did all these things, and of course we saw in England William Wilberforce, a devout Christian, led the successful effort to abolish the slave trade and then slavery itself through the British Empire by 1840. And uh, and then last of all, he talks about um, Martin Luther King. Of course, he says the American Civil Rights Movement that resulted in the outlawing of racial segregation and discrimination was led by Martin Luther King Jr., a Christian pastor and supported by many Christian churches and groups. Hmm. Um, he even says um, two thirds, I think, of the 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 abolitionists, um, and I think it was eighteen thirty, were um, were Christians. Hmm. Now, why is that important? What that means is I don't think, especially for our influential people in the church, that we can afford to sit out the culture wars, mm, right. even for the sake of reaching the individual for the gospel, right. because the, the gospel of the kingdom includes transforming all these elements. So there are times when we might give them the nod and say, yeah, this wisdom says don't give them material to use against you in this case. We can understand that. But as a general rule and a general practice, I think we, to being salt and light in a society requires um, what um, Grudem calls um, significant Christian influence on government, and I add for the common good. And um, that's, the only, that's, that's the only critique. Again, this is on the generous interpretation right. of sure. what uh, Pastor Carl said. Even on that, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a pretty good critique to say, man, we can't make it our general posture to avoid these topics. Mm-hmm. What happened, okay. um, even in the uh, slavery days, you had some of the churches in the South that were twisting the scripture to support slavery. Right. You had churches in the North that were actually, I would say, accurately interpreting the scripture and working uh, for abolition. Right. Now, the, the interesting thing that I learned is there are many churches between the Southern and Northern uh, hemispheres, and their typical mantra was, well, we don't get involved in that stuff. We mm. preach the gospel. Mm. And that reminds me of this kind of approach in the public square. And right. that, that it's, you know, it puts up warning signals for me. And um, I'm thinking of that quote. There was an old quote that said um, something like uh, for oh, for evil. Yeah, for evil. All to, that's needed for evil to advance is for good men to do nothing. Right. 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 And so so that's that's an important point here is like, man, is is abortion? Is it a great mm-hmm. evil? And if so, as Christians, can we afford to silence the conscious witness right. and the prophetic voice in our culture? Moreover even outside of politics, is this the best approach to discipleship? And that's where I also might Boy. have some concerns. Mm. And we, we all went through this um, in the young adult ministry we did, where we decided, you know what, our services are going to be for equipping the saints. Right. And I'm reminded of what Dallas Willard used to say, where the church is for discipleship and discipleship is for the world. And this idea that we can bypass talking about sin oh boy. and just connect G- to people right. to Jesus and Yikes. that it'll take care of itself okay. runs against the pattern to me of evangelism, right. even in, in the New Testament, right. where you know they had no problem saying, you guys have been worshiping idols, you've been in rebellion, repent for the kingdom right. of the heavens is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that, that makes me a little bit concerned that we might be being more influenced by our cultural rejection of the category of sin right. yeah. than we are by a, a, a biblical pattern. So I, so I think, 
I think there is some room for how to approach it. And like you said, Stephen, we want to find that place of connection and start there. And you don't want to just come in and (laughs) yelling at people beating them over the head with things sure. that's right. not the way to do it either what were you gonna so i guess like if you're going on a show like the view which is like the lion's den <laughs> yeah um knowing that you'll be asked as a pastor yeah, yeah. so you're saying okay if, when when she asks okay is abortion a sin yes it is a sin but this is how i approach it i like to get to know the person first i like to but but avoiding the answer altogether you're saying is not not advisable like to, in well, this day I'll, and time. I'll say it like thoughts? this. I'll say it like this. There are times it seem, seem if, if I'm remembering back to where Jesus, he knew they were trying to trap him on sure. something. He, okay. would, he would answer their question with a question. question. Okay. And he would use wisdom. There are times when that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a general posture in the public square, I, I don't know that that's the best approach is all ah, I'm saying. The second see. thing I'm saying is you can't, create ambiguity mm. where there's not so you so right, right. okay you can't um to bring you, the bible in right and say like well we can't know even though we know the bible right sure. it is unknowable okay similar right. to the lauren daigle interview where exactly it's like, mm. there's no way to know okay that's a hurtful posture that's exactly so right. if i was if i was pastor carl's sure. advisor in that situation right. i would say if you want to avoid it in this case because you know it's a hot button topic they're going to use it to beat up christians beat up you Here's there's a better way to to work on that, and I'll, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking something like, you know what? I'd rather not address that in this kind of setting because I know it's such an emotional topic right now. I just want to highlight the fact that God is a forgiving God. So no matter if if it's sin or not, no matter what is in your life, we come to the cross and there's forgiveness, mm-hmm. and, and God offers a way to be restored for all of us. So there's a way to avoid hitting that head on without, without, without um, okay. Ambitious. Without basically stating a falsehood that, well, it's, we don't really know or no, it's not. Uh, it depends on your convictions, that kind of idea. So that's what I would say to that. What would you say? might not be prepared to talk about this right now, but when people look at Jesus in the new Testament yeah, and the disciples expected him to address government and the Roman empire directly. And he told them, I'm not here to do that. I'm here to do something else. Yeah. Do we see an example in Jesus where affecting the government is a responsibility of us as Christians or, or influencing the law and culture when we look at the person of Jesus? Right. You know, that's actually a great question. I've, I've had some interesting discussions with uh, some theologians on that. And so I'm going to actually... I'm going to hey. push that off for now, right, right. but but I'm actually going to push it off, not not because I don't have an answer, but because that is such a big topic. It yeah. requires more nuance and more time. So I'm going to push it off to the future when we're yeah. actually going to bring some people in to talk That's about good. that more specifically. I don't know who told me this story, but once of uh, Mother Teresa meeting Bill Clinton and grabbing his hands and just clenching him and looking him right in the eye and say, God hates abortion. Mm. Right? Can you imagine? I mean, she was just convicted, no holes bar, and she spoke truth to power. Like, look, we have to stop this. God hates it. Let that be an example. (laughs) I pray for that kind of conviction and courage and fearlessness. To answer a question with a question, is that as a topic, I think it's reasonable to acknowledge that there are so many tough situations. Yeah. Um, I think I was listening to a This American Life podcast and talking about single mother who already has multiple children who would not keep their job if they had to take time off for a child. Right. Impossibly difficult situations. And to acknowledge 
not everyone has it easy and it, yeah. for some it is very difficult, but the tension is also, I believe in a Christian worldview that human life is sacred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to try and reconcile those things in those difficult situations is, is the tough part. Yeah. And that would be an answer to, is it a sin? Is it not a sin? Let's look at an individual, like you're yeah. saying. And, sure. and maybe that's, again, to be generous, what Carl yeah. Lentz is saying, like, let's look at the individual rather yeah. than to, to make a sweeping generalization right now sure. yeah. in this platform. And right. that's why, especially if you're talking to atheists who may not even believe that yeah. life is sacred, they don't have that framework at all. So if right. you're asked that on television and you're on a panel with a couple of atheists, so I can kind of understand where he's coming from, but for sure to create ambiguity is just not the time. It doesn't help. Right. Right. And yeah. And you know, I think you're, your question's so good, it's hard not to jump on that now for Stephen too. But I, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain. I'm gonna but I, I do want to give this little rubric real quick. Okay. That I think I think is helpful for this situation. And it comes from a book called Winsome Persuasion uh, by mm-hmm. Tim Muehlhoff and uh, I forget the second author, but they talk about as uh, Christianity as being a counter a counter public, and you know it's sort of like we don't have the the influential presence and power of the media and the, the, the main voices of our culture. So in that sense, we're what's called a counter public. He, he talks about in this book, how we live in an argument culture. And he said, how as a counter public, do you engage rather than withdraw from a culture like that? Mm. Or, and even rather than being just super combative with it, how do you engage it? He says, there's three different ways biblically that you can engage it. One is prophetic. One is pastoral and one is persuasive. Mm. Now he describes the prophetic like this: It appeals to the revealed word of God as as God as the final authority. It calls for acknowledgement of sin and repentance, and it demand it makes demands of the hearer uh, to repent and to change uh, their direction completely. And he said it's analogous to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. The second way is the pastoral way. This appeals to shared needs and suffering. Right. It offers healing, nurture, and aid to those in need. It meets people where they are and ministers to their needs, and it's analogous to the comfort and helping role of the Holy Spirit. The third one is the persuasive. Mm. This is the one I think this ministry would, would kind of lock in on. We would, um, and even though we see value in the other two, right. and you, know, you see people, we need some people to stand up prophetically mm. and just say this is God's way in the culture. We need people to, to do pastoral. And that might have been where Carl was coming from in that interview. Right. Yeah. Um, to say, you know, we wanna we wanna meet needs meet needs first and, and deal with the suffering. Um, but the persuasive it does this, it says it appeals to the common good and general revelation. Mm-hmm. It seeks to change viewpoints or practices within the culture. It appeals to conscience and the shared values and seeks progressive steps toward a final goal and it's analogous to the Holy Spirit bearing witness and restraining. Mm. And I think that's what you were saying. So how do you build a bridge with the person in that moment? Right. And that's that's difficult to do yeah. in a in a show like the view that's made it's set up for the gotcha kind of back and forth. Like they get their highest views when somebody really comes for somebody else. Yeah. But what I, th- what I think I would recommend for people um, like him or, or if we were on there, if I was on there, I would try to question Joy Bayer's question with a question like, do you think, you know, what, is, what do you think is the nature of sin? Do you think there are any sins? Mm-hmm. You know, or, or do you think, um, how do you define sin? 
or what is what do you think there are any examples of immorality in our culture you might get you might get her to think through her worldview first because most people are going to get to something they think is a sin or something at least they think is immoral right um whether whether or not they believe in god right and at that point you've you've kind of like taken the pressure off of yourself to say that so if i if i wanted to avoid answering it head on i think i might begin building a bridge of conversation commonality and then go from there to to show them, you know, that's good. the the biblical perspective. So in that book, uh, it was Winsome Persuasion: Christian Influence in a Post Christian World by Tim Mulehoff and Richard Langer. Yes, and, uh, we put links to all these things in the show notes. So if you have the books and the articles, you can look for them there. Yeah. So again, that's uh that would be our our generous interpretation would be you know maybe not the worst thing in the world. Here's some flat notes here and there. You could tweak it. Now, on a less generous interpretation, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> um, based on the wording, and, I, and again, I think the generous interpretation that we're given is probably what he meant. Right. But if you yeah, take the wording at, at face value, it actually does represent what many young Christians believe. Right. And so I want you to, if you can, Stephen, read again what he said specifically uh, in, in response to Joy Bear's question. So when host Joy Bayer asked directly about whether abortion is sinful, Carlin's responded, that's the kind of conversation we would have finding out your story, where you're from, what you believe. I mean, God's the judge. And he says people have to live to their own convictions. And that's such a broad question to me. I'm going higher. I want to sit with someone and say, what do you believe? Yeah. So the part that concerns me there, just the wording is God's the judge. It's sort of what Lauren said in the interview and she's like, well, you know, I can't say, um, God, right. God is the one. Mm-hmm. I, no, she said, I can't say I'm not God. In other words, it requires to, being God to say that something is sinful. Right. And that is in no way biblical <laughs> because people say all, all the people in, in the Bible are writing <laughs> and yeah. saying stuff is sinful and telling you to call, you know, call out sin right. in your churches or, you know, exhort one another to godliness, point out, you know, where stuff is off and fix it. Um, doesn't require in any of those cases being God. Mm. And nor does that mean you're condemning by saying something is a sin. Again, that distinction between evaluating and condemning is important. Right. That gets conflated in that statement. Mm. Second part of it is even more concerning, though, and that's the part where he says people, what is the word that people should live? People have to live to their own convictions. People have to live to their own mm. convictions. Now, taken by itself, that sounds like relativism. Right. In other words, what makes something right or wrong is based on your convictions about right. that thing. Right. That can be in a collectivist sense where it's a culture, or it can be in an individual sense where it's an individual. What that would mean is Germany was not wrong to do the Holocaust if their convictions were such that the right. Holocaust was not wrong. It would also mean that slavery in the U.S. was not wrong in the South for Southerners who believed that it wasn't wrong Mm. on an individual level. If an individual believed that, you know, raping, torturing, killing a woman for fun was right. Then for them, that's right. Right. Now, obviously again, I don't think Carl would say that, but that wording. Sure. And, and this is what I want to play from uh, there's a, there's a little video from uh, JP Moreland here where he talks about relativism and how common it actually is at the university level and how it actually gets taught to people. So 
Here's, here's this little clip from JP. Uh, Alan Bloom, in his book, The Closing of the American Mind, Bloom was a professor at the University of Chicago, makes a statement in his book uh, along the following lines. He says, there's one thing a university professor can be certain of the freshman class, and that is that they will all be relativists. And um, I would simply add to Bloom's point that if they're not relativists by the time they're freshmen, they will be by the time they're seniors, if they are humanities majors. And uh, we have a situation on the university campus where this idea that everything is relative uh, in a certain interesting sense is widely accepted as the default position. Uh, a recent survey indicated that something like 85% of college students have, have bought into some form of relativism or another. Now today, relativism is a part of what's called political correctness, and it is often associated with what I take to be a very harmful notion of tolerance, where the idea is that we ought to be tolerant of other people's viewpoints and other people's ideas. Now I think that there is a sense in which tolerance is a good idea, but there's a sense in which it is a horrible idea. So right there, we hear in JP, it, it actually has a lot of overlap with, with um, Pastor Carl's approach on there, because I think what he's trying to do is be kind, not offend people. But there's this idea of relativism running through it, this political correctness that, you know, in order to be tolerant and loving, I can't say that something's wrong. I have to say what's right for you is right for you. Right. And that is a com that's becoming increasingly common. So I do think some people will hear that in the church and then that will further their relativism that they're already sort of starting to buy into. And here's um, the interesting thing about that is when I, I went on his Instagram to look at it and I saw that there were certain portions of his Instagram where he felt free to call certain things wrong. What were those things? Those things were societal injustice, um, religious right. hypocrisy. Hmm. Now what happens is that that fits right in with the political correctness mood of the day. Right. And what my concern is, is this is the outgrowth of maybe an uncritical uh, succumbing to the pressure of our culture that we use relativism when it's things that are uncomfortable for our culture. Wow. But then we convert back to absolutism when it comes to things that are also convenient for our culture, which is coming against the religious structures, coming against the oppressors. Right that sort of thing. And that just is to give in to basically a critical theory worldview, which starts in relativism, but ends in ab absolutism. <laughs> um, right. So I want to give another uh, little portion of JP here because he points out something that's really peculiar about how this typically happens, how most people, even though they're self-described relativists and they do tend to think morality is depends on the person, they, they can't quite escape absolutism in areas that are important to them. So listen to this real quick. Now what if you find somebody who says, I don't believe in an absolute moral law? What if you find somebody who says, no, I don't believe in an absolute moral law? The best thing to do is to find out what they care deeply about, treat it like it's relative, and see what happens. And it will be like teeing off a golf ball in the shower. Uh, it will come right back at you and, they, and you will find that absolutists come out of the closet very quickly. Now, let me illustrate this. A few years ago, I ran across a, a young man in Southern California here uh, uh, in Orange County that said that he was a moral relativist. All right, so I found out the guy loves the environment. 
cares deeply about the environment. So I said, you know, I don't know what you're going to think of me, but I've got four buddies, and we meet once a month, all five of us, and we each kick 50 bucks a piece into a kitty. We buy a 100-gallon drum of sulfuric acid. We go out on Lake Paris, and we dump the acid in the lake, and we've taken a bet ahead of time as to how many fish we'll kill, and whoever gets closest to the number that actually floats to the surface wins the remainder of the kitty. I said, I said, God, it is an absolute blast. Yeah. Well, you could see the blood vessels on this guy's neck swelling. And I said, you know, I'm not an expert in body language, but it looks to me that you think what my friends and I are doing is... And then I said, sir, you know, I don't think you're a relativist. I think you're a relativist where it's convenient to your lifestyle. But you're an absolutist in the areas you care about. The truth is everybody knows that there's a moral absolute. So, I, I, sorry, so I've taken this long journey to no. bring us back full circle to this point. This is what concerns me about, and I, I don't want to put this on Carl personally because I don't know him. This is what concerns me about some of our current representations of Christian leaders. I don't think they are becoming relativists in these situations, uh, put on the spot in these interviews, out of convenience for their own... Uh, Self-preservation. Yes. Uh, well, out of convenience for their own like proclivities, like they want to personally engage mm. in this stuff. But I do think there's a convenience of not being um, maligned as the bad guy. Right. And, I, and I, I'm concerned that we get in these situations and we all of a sudden we become relativists out of convenience for avoiding mm. uh, the backlash that's going to come if we take strong stands on this. Because, and the reason I think that because the, as soon as it comes back to something they do care about that that's okay with the culture, i.e. social justice, i.e. Mm. racism, whatever it is, then all of a sudden they feel free to proclaim that, no, these mm -hmm. things are wrong. It doesn't, right. doesn't depend on your convictions. Because let me ask you this. Could you imagine him saying that in The View if they were talking about racism right. or slavery? Right. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't because there's no backlash from the culture. That is what concerns me most of all. We have to be consistent as Christian representatives um, in the public square. We have, to, we have to say it like it is with God. And if we don't, want to say it in those situations we have to take a different tact than making right. it am ambiguous does that make sense sure right. so nerva you asked this earlier how do we do this now there's a there's an incredible video we're going to link to this because i think this guy killed it and it's a video of billy graham oh yeah being interviewed um by uh woody allen yeah woody allen oh wow so he was an atheist or a secularist or agnostic or whatever he was on the spot he was in an environment where it would not have been um, comfortable or easy for Billy Graham to speak on these topics, but I want you to see how he did it, and this would be the model of how we can all grow in this. And so I would encourage our brothers and sisters, Pastor Carl, uh, Lauren Daigle, myself, any of us that are going to be in these situations, yeah. that we would look to that mm. as our model for how to answer these questions. So that's good. Check that link out. We'll, yeah, maybe we'll yeah. post it to our free mind. Instagram and yeah. website as well. That's, That's all good. I have to say on that first one, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty long lightning round. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. No, no, I don't know if we can. What's the point of this, you know, podcast? We want to go deep into things, so for sure, it's good. Does that make sense to you guys? Though, any any more thoughts Absolutely. on that? I want to yeah, hear that Billy Graham video. Huh? 
Yeah, it's really good, man. uh, He, I was. It's brilliant. It's beautiful and brilliant. It's It's winsome. It's it's, it's, persuasive. Yeah, it's convicting. It's just, it's just really good. I I really enjoy. I was inspired watching it. Yeah, man. He didn't cower down. He just spoke the truth out of love. And really, you could tell he wished that Woody would come to know God. You Mm. know, it wasn't just trying to win this argument in front of a crowd. Because it is interesting when Carl Lentz responds, it says that the crowd cheered, mm. you know, and that's something wow. to, to guard against. And T.D. Jakes always that. said, yeah, T.D. Yeah, yeah. Jakes said, you know, if you live on people's praises, you'll also live on their critiques. So you have, we have to be aware of wanting people's praises in a day and age where we are being marginalized. It's just increasingly mm. coming to a place where if you stand on the truth of the Bible, you will be persecuted. They will come. Yeah. And so we're just living in those times. Just we do good to prepare for that moment. And speaking of, yeah. <laughs> so the next article, uh, I guess you have a one from Vox on this, Stephen. I have one from National Review, written by David French, yeah. called "Will Woke Progressives Allow Celebrities to Be Christian?" What was yours? This was from the Vox.com: The Rise of the Star-Studded, Instagram-Friendly Evangelical Church. Okay. And it was featuring Chris Pratt, Justin Bieber, and some of the churches that they attend and are kind of part of this popular evangelical movement, Okay, according to them. And what was the basic? uh... And the basic is that these celebrities like Chris Pratt and Justin Bieber are being vocal about their Christianity on social media. You know, Chris Pratt often will post uh, verses or talk about God, and they attend these megachurches out in California or wherever. They mention the Hillsong, they mention Zoe Church in Los Angeles, and Church Home, uh, a church as well. And they're saying that this looks like a popular evangelical church, and that these celebrities are inviting them, and it seems attractive. But the critique is then, as you go to these churches, if you dig down into their belief system, that they are still against LGBTQ, they're still against abortion, and saying just because it seems popular on Instagram and these big names are doing it, it's still the same old quote unquote church underneath. That was the the temperature of the the box dot com article. And that's actually that's really uh that's really interesting to me because like like we're discussed in that first article, Hillsong has actually intentionally avoided uh topics of abortion, LGBTQ um pronouncements. I, I think they were in kind of hot water, in fact, a few years ago because they wouldn't mm-hmm. make a public statement against mm-hmm. same sex marriage and so they've intentionally tried to avoid that, but here's how things are getting culturally. If you don't actually affirm full-on pro-gay theology like progressive Christianity does, by definition, you aren't woke enough, and you will be right. maligned by this culture. Right. So even those churches that most of us evangelicals would say, man, they're kind of squishy on those issues. They don't really take a biblical stand. Even those churches are the bad guy right. in the culture right. now. Yeah. I'm going to read just the last paragraph of this article because I think it's an interesting tone, but many seemingly progressive churches seem so only because they are young. He's talking about Zoe Church, Church Home, things like that. Their theology is actually fairly conservative, but it dresses up in leather leggings and cool hats. When it comes time to dig beneath the surface, what you'll find isn't all bad, but it isn't much more forward thinking than the churches our parents grew up in. It just looks a little cooler. Mm. So that's the temperature and the feeling towards these churches yeah. and towards these celebrities who say they are Christians. And the article even says, you know, people like Chris Pratt and Justin Bieber might hold different views than the churches, 
But as far as the churches that they are attending, they're still the conservative, old, non-progressive yeah. type Christianity. And I think even Chris Pratt was getting a lot of pushback on Twitter after that. Right. Those articles came out because people were saying, man, you know, I saw some that were like, man, now I can't even watch your movies because you're, you know, you're a hater. Right. And so this idea is just something to watch. Um, and, and I wonder, you know, again, I'm glad Hillsong has not given into progressive Christianity. We're going to talk about that next week. So uh, be on the lookout. We're going to be interviewing Elisa Childers or Childers. I forget how you pronounce her name, but um, progressive Christianity. She does a lot of study in that area. So we'll explain more what that term means and what the movement yeah. uh, consists of. But it is interesting that, um, that there, that even Hillsong <laughs> is, is yeah. looked at as this kind of anti LGBTQ uh, organization, which is wild. It's something to be, aware of and then that brings us to the next uh article came out was this just this week Stephen, with the university that uh dean that resigned from the university yeah so this is talking about a a university dean resigns after school bans chick-fil-a that's at least the headline and so the the summary of the story is Ryder university which is in new jersey they actually polled the students asking them what fast food chain they would like to see on campus and the students actually voted to see chick-fil-a come mm. on campus. The students actually wanted Chick-fil-A to come. But the the board was considering if they bring Chick-fil-A on, knowing that Chick-fil-A is anti-LGBTQ, that it's going to be an issue. And so the I believe the board of the school said, no, we are not going to get Chick-fil-A on campus. And one of the deans at the university, yeah, her name is Newman. She's the dean. She resigns because the school, again, just resisted Chick-fil-A strictly because of their stance outside of the food part. You know, this is, and, right. and, and the reason why this comes up, you know, if you look it up, is because Chick-fil-A financially supports organizations that promote traditional marriage yeah, and that stuff. And so that's why there's the perception that Chick-fil-A is anti-LGBTQ, is because they support organizations who are for traditional marriage. Uh, so Chick-fil-A is not going to the school. The board, you know, said they're not coming, and this dean then resigns because of the stance that the school took against Chick-fil-A. Yeah. And I think I listened to a little bit of the, the video too. And I think she was saying she had emailed them and asked them to give a formal apology. Cause they basically took this, they sent out a campus wide email or something saying, right. you know, just kind of maligning Chick-fil-A, but she was like the same things you're saying about them is, is true of all of us evangelicals. And you're, you know, right. basically just saying, putting us on the same level is the KKK and saying, you know, they aren't for inclusion. They're these, right. you know, evil corporations. So she asked them for an apology. They wouldn't do it. And so basically that upheld their, their position in that. This is really um, interesting because like you said, they in no way have they ever made a statement that's hateful. Right. right. In fact, uh, it's interesting. Just this week <laughs> we went up to Atlanta and we actually met Dan Cathy for the first time. Yeah. yeah. And um, he took the time to take us around the corporate offices and yeah, gave us a cool tour. Yeah, a cool it's tour. Really of the, awesome. Uh, real laid back guy. Real down to earth. Super kind. I mean, if they only knew his character and his heart, they they would not, <laughs> you know, come against him or his organization. He's a very loving man. Very yeah. kind. And you know, I would almost agree with you on that. But I think even though they would know his heart, I think some True. of them would. There you go. <laughs> because there you go. <laughs> Because again, if you yeah. if you're not affirming okay of this position, 
it doesn't matter it doesn't if you're matter kind. How kind. It's sort okay, of they they sense. see they will see you. The, in a, by they, I'm talking about these representatives of LGBTQ activism. Okay. They see you as a kind Nazi. They see you as a kind member of the KKK. Mm-hmm. And if you remember your critical theory, all these things sure, tie together. Sure. They're all part of that same oppressed group. So if you're an oppressor, that makes sense. you're on the same level. KKK, Nazi soldier, you know. So you, you're you not, it doesn't matter what your personal, you know, yeah. morality yeah, right. is. You're part of that group. And it, And the sentiment around Chick-fil-A is so strong uh, from the LGBTQ side. The Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey, yeah. uh, tweeted, he was actually He's tweeting about his, his Square Cash app, because it's interesting, if you have a Square Cash account, you can get a Square Cash debit card, and you can actually get a 10% discount at Chick-fil-A just using this debit card from oh. Square. And so Jack Fair Dorsey, you. yeah, I was actually, I'm probably going to be using it. You know right? what I'm saying? Yeah, I just got one. <laughs> uh, but he tweeted a screenshot of his phone and it said, you know, 10% boost at Chick-fil-A. And he got uh, blasted for it because he actually supported Chick-fil-A just by eating there. Right. So just eating there, uh, he got a huge backlash and he had to issue an official apology uh, on Twitter. And he did, right? And he did. Oh, no. He absolutely, he had an official apology uh, for for eating there, basically. And and the people that were kind of giving him the heat for it, they were saying, you know, why do you support a homophobic company, especially during Pride Month? Yeah. And so Jack Dorsey tweeted this during Pride Month, so even more so. Um, and Jack Dorsey said, uh, to some of these people, you're right, completely forgot about their background and apologized right. for eating there. Their background. Their evil background, right? Their evil background, yeah. So, and again, they're homophobic simply right. because they affirm that marriage is the design of God between a man and a woman. That automatically makes you homophobic in this climate, even though, and I got a little story here from, a, a book, uh, man, I forget the book. It's by uh, Sean McDowell and John Stone Street on, I think it was on same-sex marriage, but they tell this story where Dan Cathy actually reached out to this guy named Shane Windemeyer. He was the man who had organized the national campaign against uh, Dan and right. against Chick-fil-A. It was a whole day of picketing. Yeah, it was a whole thing like that. So, so Dan, and, and now that we met him, this makes perfect sense because he seems like this kind of guy, but he says um, he reached out to him. Windemeyer revealed their surprising friendship as well as his decision to suspend the national campaign against Chick-fil-A after he attended the Chick-fil-A bowl game as a personal guest of the Kathy family. He said, throughout the conversations they had, Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life, wanting to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know, he wanted to know about where I grew up, my faith, my family, even my husband, Tommy. In return, I learned about his wife and kids and gained an appreciation for his devout belief in Jesus Christ and his commitment to be a follower of Christ more than a Christian. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A, but he offered no apology for his genuine beliefs about marriage. This sort of, um, and then the authors go on to say this sort of bridge building requires humility. There is too great a difference in in the morality that is being demanded by the church and the morality that is seen in the church. And, you know, they just talk about how yeah. sometimes we don't treat people in the LGBTQ community how we should. Right. But in this case, Dan did. And that seems to be the kind of person he is from what we've seen and the people that know him really well that we've talked to. Um, so, I th- you know, that's just a reminder that, again, we have to take a stand as Christians. Mm-hmm. But we do that. We love the individual. 
But there is that distinction. You can love the individual. You can still say something is wrong in the sight of God and destructive and still stand for what's right, not apologize for the biblical viewpoint and still take an interest in the person and love them. And, um, you know, but again, I think our society is at the place right now where even that is not enough for many. Right. But that's okay. We just have to stand in that and come on, man. women, as you you say. Yeah, man. So, you know, that's interesting. Um, We'll see where that goes with the Chick-fil-A thing. I I feel like that's Mm going to be just an ongoing battle as our culture continues to move toward uh, what Oz Guinness calls an ABC culture, anything but Christianity. (laughs) Um, it'll be, it'll, what will be interesting will be if to see if it comes in conflict with Islam Mm. because traditional, you know, Islam conservative Islam would also be, you know, hold to traditional views of marriage. There's a tendency in our culture not to want to come against Islam. So that'll be an interesting uh, struggle of so-called, uh, oppressed groups internally right. so we'll we'll see how that plays out it is interesting jermaine we don't have to talk about it at length but the uh, the methodist church held their general conference last week mm. and this is an issue that is literally splitting the denomination methodism is yeah. the second largest denomination in the u.s right after southern baptist and this is something they've been discussing probably for the past 12 years or more they have a, a general conference every four years and the issue of a homosexual clergy and marriages have been in, on the docket for years and years, and they have finally uh, settled on their book of discipline to say that, no, we don't recognize homosexual clergy. We right. do not believe you should be performing homosexual marriages. The reason why it went that way is because a lot of the Methodists, uh, there's a huge Methodist contingent in Africa right. and in Eurasia. Yep. And in these places, homosexuality is actually illegal, apart from wow. even the religion. Yeah, And that's where a majority of the vote for the traditional plan that actually passed. Right. But here in the U.S., there are many, many large Methodist churches, one especially uh, Adam Hamilton, who pastors Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City, uh, is saying, listen, we don't agree with this, and um, either the Methodist denomination will backtrack and vote on one of these other plans, or we will find a way to leave and, uh, and create another denomination. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a real thing, you know. It is interesting that the African and the Eurasian churches be more conservative if it's what really i would say at least for now has rescued them as a church from from full out apostasy (laughs) (laughs) um and um so that's that's really interesting how god can use different parts of of the world um and i had i knew someone who was actually at the annual conference last week and they said it was very very heated Wow. and uh i mean you know maybe we could talk about this on a future episode i'll send you the video but adam hamilton talks about all these practices in the even New Testament that we do not do today. You know, women can't teach others and, you know, women aren't supposed to speak in church and women are supposed to have their head covered when they pray. And he said, those are all cultural things in the past that we don't adhere to today. Yeah. And along the same lines of uh, homosexuality, that's at least what he's connecting it to. Right. And then he says uh, this really quippy line that got laughter and applause from, from the the audience that was there. Yeah. And he said, you know, if we're going to stick so close to saying everything in the Bible should be literal and followed, I find it interesting. We spent the first day of this conference talking about pensions, whereas the Bible says, don't store for yourselves up riches on earth where moth and dust destroy. Right. And using this thing, it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, on surface, it's a great quip, a great point, and a great way to to get the audience on their side. Right. And he is extremely well-spoken. There's a reason why he has a 10,000-person church out of Kansas City. For sure. But, But those... 
those nuances to talk about it. Uh, it's yeah, it's very interesting to, to watch that happen. So. Yeah, and at some point, I think we will have to get into the details, and because what you're talking about there is exegesis, right? Systematic theology, and you know, it's easy to to like you said. I mean, that's that's what the late night show, shows do. They kind of take yeah. the straw man and they, you know, throw it out there, and you, you get some laughter because it's it's pretty easy. But it's doesn't it doesn't take into account the complex nuances of the difference between what is cultural, what is universal, right? Um, what is specific and, and, you know, it just sort of throws it out there and lobs it into the audience. But we do, you know, we will have to address those things at some point. Cause it, yeah. some of those questions are really good questions. Like why is it that some of those things mm-hmm. we don't, we no longer practice and what, why is it that that still is? And, and there are whole, you know, books and discussions on those topics that we will have to address. So, yeah. um, Maybe we have time to to just brush through this last this last article um, in our in our semi lightning round here. <laughs> We're going fast now. Yeah. Uh, this one was what is this on the another pro life speaker gets blocked from a Christian university. So this was uh, talking about evangelical university blocks lecture by pro life activist Star Parker. So this is talking about the University of Northwestern. Mm-hmm. And this is again supposedly a Christian university or evangelical university in Minnesota. They're going to have the speaker, Star Parker, come. She's an African American pro life activist, and the university decided to not let her come speak. Um, the administration of the university said that if you want to have her speak to a closed group or a private event for your community on campus, that's fine but we're not going to have her come speak at an open event, mm. even open to the public uh, because of her strong stance on pro-life. And so she was uh, not able to go. Yeah. And you know, when you dig into it a little bit, you'll be surprised because there's nothing, there's nothing really in, um, in the material she was presents or was going to present that seems in any way radical as they call it right. or unbiblical. Same thing as, as Ryan, who we recently interviewed faced at Wheaton College. Right. And interesting, again, that this is supposedly an evangelical university making this kind of call. You know, this is not like Ryder University not allowing Chick-fil-A. This is a supposedly evangelical university not allowing this. But again, I think it goes to your point you were talking earlier about relativism when it's convenient or not wanting to offend. And so when it comes to this kind of topic, it is avoided. Uh, For sure. And and actually, it's funny because I was looking at Ryan posted this on Facebook today, right? And you can uh, you can see it on there. But he said exactly which views of anti poverty and hashtag pro life conservatives, Star Parker and the Center for Urban Renewal and Education aren't in line with Scripture University of Northwestern question <laughs> mark. Young America's Foundation wanted Parker, who is post abortive, was formerly on welfare, became a Christian and experienced a radically beautiful transformation in her life to talk about abortion. But she, all caps, she's not qualified to talk about abortion in the black community, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark. <laughs> So-called Christ-centered college bans national hashtag pro-family hashtag pro-liberty Christian leaders from speaking on campus. This kind of censorship benefits the very ones who disproportionately target the black community with today's most prevalent and fatal form of eugenics, abortion. Brother Ryan doesn't play around. Yes, no, he, man. Doesn't, he doesn't shrink back. <laughs> he doesn't mince words. Uh, apparently like he doesn't is. take the view of uh, trying to skirt around the issue. No, <laughs> no skirting. No, no skirting he's not ambiguous for sure. 
Um, but that, that is quite a, uh, round of events here. But it's crazy that an evangelical university is more concerned about not offending students than bringing someone that could preach some truth. That's crazy. That's the day and age we're living in. Like it is where the, and I think JP touched on it with the, the, the bad view of tolerance to have tolerance these days is to say that I can't say that anything you believe is false or anything you do is wrong. Hmm. Um, Unless you're intolerant, then I can say that that is wrong (laughs) and that belief is false. So, you know, it it ultimately is always become self-refuting. But I, I do think we need to be aware of this in our Christian circles. We need to, to recover a biblical ethic. We need to understand ethics. I mean, we'll link this one too as a book. It's kind of a, it's a long book, but it's called Ethics. Uh, Paul Copan is a co-author of it, and they really lay out, you know, just philosophical foundations for ethics, and then they go through particulars, uh, hot button issues. But I think we need to understand that there are objective moral values and duties for everyone, independent of what they believe about it. Um, independent of what they feel about it. They're rooted in God's nature, given to us through his commands and through the the moral law written on our hearts. And we do good to work for the common good based on his design and based on the knowledge. And this is another thing. um, Sorry, I'm going back to the first one here. Um, If we do avoid the question, another way you could say it that would help is to say, you know what, I'm not an expert in this area of ethics. Because then you then you put ethics and morality back in the category of knowledge, mm. uh, and that's that's a positive step in this that culture because people tend to think, oh, it's not something you know, it's something you feel or an opinion you have, rather than something we discover. Right. We think it's something we invent, mm. and so if you don't want to address it, that's a good thing to say. Just give them a couple resources, even if you give them ones on both sides. Here's here's a great you know, discussion of a pro-life position. Here's a guy that disagrees with him. Check those out. See what you think. I take the pro-life position. You know, when you talk like that, I think that you can take a little bit of the heat out of the discussion. That's good. So anyways, that's our, that's our, uh, lightning round (laughs) (laughs) slow-mo lightning that's it so we got a lot of links and several books and you can find all those links in the show notes for this episode. You can also go to freemind.fm. We have a ton of resources there, links for all kinds of topics. And if you have any questions for the show or some recommendations, you can email podcast at freemind.fm. You can also follow us on social media at freemind.fm. And we'd love to hear from you. And if you have a second, you can leave us a five-star rating in the Apple Podcast area. That'd be great. It helps us be discovered by others as they are searching for these kinds of topics. So thanks for listening. Generation.